So welcome to one more edition of Politics on Right Star. For that, we've been having a little bit of problems getting all this stuff set up, you know. It's been one of those weeks, but we had a great, 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 great time at uh, Netroots Nation 2023. We had a great time, and we're going to have a great show for you today. I'm back from Chicago. It was great. It was maravilloso. The crimes and dangers of Elliot Abrams. That guy's a criminal. You're absolutely right. Uh, by the way, Eric, for your, I think I see Eric Hayes. Oh, I didn't get shot in Chicago. I didn't hear about anybody getting shot in Chicago. Beautiful place. Beautiful, beautiful city. You know, everywhere has its bad places. But Chicago, the third largest city in the in the country, it was a beautiful place. I've been there several times without a problem. Maywood, good afternoon. E2247, good afternoon. Bridge MCP, good afternoon. Lee Grant, good afternoon. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, guess what? On At the end of the video, as I promised, for all of those who uh, provided the support for the trip, we didn't we didn't meet our goal, but we st you still have time to support the trip. Uh, as it turns out, uh, you know, you'll see at the end of this video what I actually did. Anyhow, I want to play a video from a friend of mine. He's now the mayor of a town in North Carolina, another activist that uh, decided to go out there and change things. And uh, he's been working at it. He has a project called the Black Voter, the Black Men Voter Project or something like that. But anyhow, let's go ahead and listen to that. The first interview I played a couple of them live I was at, uh, when I was at uh, Netroots. But I want you to check this one out, and then we'll take it on the other side. Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right. Hey, folks, when I talk about the activists of activists, I'm, I'm not being overblown. Um, uh, we are here with Mondale Robinson. Mondale, how you doing brother. today, my brother? Great to have you here. It's, you know? good, it's good to be back. It's good to, I owe you this. I'm, yeah. I'm behind. Actually, yeah, you stood me up the last net roots, man. I'm hurt. <laughs> Charge it to my head, not my heart. Okay, I know it's not uh, your heart. I know it's not your heart. Anyway, look here. You've been doing a lot of great things. You have a new organization. Well, it's not new anymore, but no. you have an organization that's yeah. really getting voters engaged. Talk to me a little bit about it. Yeah, man. Um, You know, uh, Black Melville project we're going into our fifth election cycle right now mm -hmm. so she's no longer a baby i know she's, I a, know. she's a kindergartner exactly now exactly right and uh like kindergartners she's learning so much more about black men specifically uh what we uh, know let, let me stop you Go right ahead. here ahead, why sure. do you have to centralize on black men we know we have yeah. a voter issue around yeah. but there's something specific about black men yeah. that you got to centralize and talk about it yeah it's it's the lack of uh prioritization from the party auxiliaries and, and and frankly any organizations doing this work how is it 2023 and we're the only national organization talking to black men which is the second largest base voter mm -hmm. for our for people that believe in progressive now, there ideas some, there are some people that would say mm -hmm. well you know we think you know mm -hmm. it's it's the same all life matter kind of folks yeah. that says why do we need to go ahead and segment or create an identity that we somehow have to treat black men differently in the voting process yeah. explain exactly why that is a must especially given our history yeah i mean listen First of all, black men were the first guinea pigs for voter suppression. The 15th Amendment started what would right. become what we suffer from right now. And also it matters that to be black man in America is unique, unique in a way that is horrible. Black men suffer 
the worst social markers of any demographic in this country. We have the shortest lives, the worst uh, economic outcomes. We're more likely, more likely to be killed or targeted by police officers and also school and the prison justice system is not working for us. So to be black men and not see your issues prioritized by a party that says they're speaking on your behalf, is the absolute reason why Black Male Voter Project exists. It is interesting because I always talk to folks, you know, folks would always talk about identity politics. We need to get away from identity politics. I said we can only get away from identity politics. We only can get away from women's issues, men issues, black men issues, etc. when identities don't matter. And at this point in our history, identity matters. Expand yeah. on that. Yeah, I mean, getting away from identity politics sounds like a talking point for Republicans. Right. Uh, it's the idea that you don't need to be woke. Right. The anti-woke mob or the woke mob, whatever they want to call us. Think about that in terms. Who right. wants to walk around sleep? Right. What are you trying to hide from me? What do I need not know for you to, to suffer from your politics? So this idea that you don't need to talk about identities is to say that I don't need to say what's really ailing me. I don't, I don't need to talk about what's killing my communities. That, to me, goes against everything I stand for, not just politically, but religiously. I, I, I serve a Jesus that was a minority Jew born under Roman occupation, mm -hmm. who was bilingual, who said what you do for the most or the least, and also what you don't do for them, you're speaking to my policies. So the idea that for me to not talk about identity politics is to go against my God, and I can't do that. Exactly right. Now, let, let's go deep now into your organization. Mm -hmm. Tell me what, first of all, what are you doing? What's your approach? Mm -hmm. How are you getting to these people, not only in the urban areas and the cities, but also in rural areas across yeah. the country? I think what happens is, uh, this is, I'm glad you asked about rural area too, because a lot of the time people think about black men as the thug, Right. In, in, in the suburban, right? In, this, in, in this the urban, ur areas. urban areas, right? Yeah. Big cities. But in actuality, black people are overrepresented in rural spaces, especially in the South. Black people represent 30% of the rural population in Southern states. Right. Nationally, we are only about 13% of the population. So that means we're overrepresented in rural spaces. So uh, the idea that we have a program that does not speak to rural spaces would be incomplete anyway. But our program is a year round program that does not focus on traditional methods or Candidate work. So let me let me stop you for mm -hmm. a second. Does that mean you are not dependent on the even though you've been around for five election mm -hmm. cycles, you make sure unlike uh, what, let's say, the, the parties do, mm -hmm. you don't only try to contact your folks during an election cycle yeah. but throughout the year? Yeah, I think that transactional nature of campaigns, like calling people two months before an election right. to talk about how important this election is, mm -hmm. how important this candidate is, this candidate can save your life, does not ring true with black men. There's never been a candidate on an right. election that saved black men. This is why we feel find ourselves where we are right now. So we know if we're gonna be trusted messengers for this demographic, then we have to show up every day. So we knock all year round. We also have programs that are built to mimic the lived experience of black men. It's called Brother Be Voting, mm -hmm. which is our focus group. We don't let cameras in there. They're not, it's not like an overt political conversation. We only let three political people in and the other 74 are brothers who are gang member drug dealers who don't vote at all mm -hmm. or vote sporadically. Because I feel like if we're gonna expand the electorate, we don't need to worry about voter registration with black men. Right. We don't have a voter registration. We don't have a clientele problem. Mm -hmm. We have a product problem. People aren't buying the democratic product, mm -hmm. right? 72% of the black men that are registered in this country right now either did not vote or only voted in one of Isn't the last three elections. Listen to me, 73% of black men that are registered to vote in this country is rejecting our politics. 73% said, I'm not voting 
oh, I've only voted in one election. These are brothers wow. who are already registered. Yeah. So don't talk to me about voter registration mm -hmm. when you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing with this demographic. Yeah, yeah, and people should know this is not a critique of black men because we know that every time a demographic increase in its participation in the election, it's because they spent more resources mm -hmm. on them. So when you see black men being more likely to be non-voters or one election voters than they are two election or, or super voters, then that's a critique of the model that you're running. That transactional nature that you're talking yes. about where you show up after Labor Day telling me how important this election mm -hmm. is when you're not doing anything, when the police are killing my brothers and my family members. You know something, Mondale, you hit on something. I, I've been concerned watching how many, let's say black men starting to jump on the Trump bandwagon. It's not many. And I know it's not many. I'm, I'm not. I'm not trying to make it right, many. But right. I'm saying that that any would. Yeah. 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 Any would. Yeah. Right. Believe it or not, speaks to what you're saying. Yeah. It has been transactional. And somebody says, "Well, I've tried this. I've tried that. I've tried that. What the hell? Let me just try something I, else." And I mean, like, and I mean, so the, the, the beautiful part of it is, black men aren't growing their support for Republicans, right? Mm -hmm. There's always since the switch in the '60s, mm -hmm. right? Since. Uh, Explain that because a lot of people yeah. have. You know, one of the selling points and yeah. the parties is like, hey, remember, the Republican Party is the ones who signed the Emancipation Proclamation yeah. and the Democratic yeah. Party is the one who yeah. was into segregation back yeah. in the... Explain to yeah. folks why that is a silly argument. It's a silly argument because of the same reason Ronald Reagan was a Republican. Let me explain what I'm talking about. In the 60s, there was a woman. Right. It was a lot of people. Yes, yes. But, but let's be clear. It was the work of a Southern black woman, right? Right? You know what I'm talking about? Yes, yes, of course. Okay, that said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and yes, tired. Yes, I, I know. Yeah. Right? And she, she argued and made the Democratic Party seat black people at the 1968 convention. Right. Right? And when black people got seated by the Democratic Party, all the racist white Democrats left, left the party. And formed? And formed the Republicans. The Dixiecrats. The, the Dixiecrats oh, and the new Republicans. Right. One of those, one of those Democrats that left the party that year was Ronald Reagan. Right. Right? Oh, wait, I, believe exactly. I didn't know that. Exactly. It was Ronald Reagan. Maybe right? that's why he started his campaign the way he did. And, and that's exactly why. Yeah. He went to Mississippi, right. to Philadelphia, Mississippi, right. to send a point to white racists that, well, hey, I just I'm with you. I just something, Mandela. I did know Reagan was a part of that cabal. Yeah, that absolutely. 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 Okay. Reagan, Strong, Thurman, all of them. So what happened is this, this, this idea that Lincoln Republicans, Lincoln Republicans are not Democrats. Mm -hmm. So people, that mixture, so I, I literally just screamed at Jesse Waters on Fox about this. Mm -hmm. Like, you're out of your mind. Your Republican Party is not the party of Lincoln. Exactly. You're not the party of Lincoln. That's almost like me saying, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm the same as, I'm the same as Frederick Douglass. Exactly. I'm not Frederick Douglass. Right, right. Right? I would have never went to the Hayes administration. Right. I would have never talked about black people not needing education. Right. 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 That would have been my stance. So people need to understand that history matters for a lot of reasons. I'm especially. glad you brought that up. I, I am so glad yeah. because that is almost blasphemy. In, in, it is. In, in some, it, it is some blasphemy. Black, in some black environments, that it would is. be blasphemy. It is. It is absolutely. Anybody that understands black history, it's almost like saying, I'm the one that freed you, but also, check this out. Yeah. Check this out. I'm the one that freed you from slavery, but then you discount the fact that in the 60s, you're the one that said I shouldn't be able to vote. Exactly. You're the one that said I should be killed for talking to or competing with white I people. I want to say something here to the audience. Let me tell you something, guys. One of the reasons it's important to hear all perspectives, right, is because even things, you learn the myth about Frederick Douglass. You learn the myth about Ronald Reagan. You learn the myth about all these things. When you have folks that are, are not distilled by the history that's been anesthetized or sanitized that you get in, in school, 
it's the best way. Yeah. I learned something today. Yeah. Continue, Bundell. Yeah, so I mean, listen, uh, talking to your audience, I would, I would challenge all of y'all to stop thinking of the United Daughters of Confederates as the women who made the monuments, all these Confederate monuments right. get put up. And think about what they did to our education. Right. If you dive into the United Daughters of Confederacy and see what they did to the Southern education, how they banned books, mm -hmm. banned books, any and book they that just start. No, 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 no. They banned the United Daughters of Confederacy yeah. banned books right after the Civil War. Right. So if you said anything negative about Confederate soldiers, if you said anything negative about the Klan, then those books couldn't be in Southern schools. Right. The idea of the lost cause that supports white people mm -hmm. and white supremacy and that the, there was Northern aggression, that's why Southern fought the Confederate War, it, all of that was taught through the USD, the, uh, the United Daughters of Confederacy's right. control over Southern schools. If you consider that, what then, and you see where we are right now, where you have Florida and other states banning books, we are about to face another generation that is completely ignorant to what really is I happening know right now. I that. You're so right about that. But we are already ignorant from a sanitized history that That's we learned fact. here. Come on. Christopher Columbus was a hero and not a killer, right? Right. Right. The, the things that we've learned <laughs> yeah. in, in the country and that is now called woke because we decide to tell the truth. Right. Right. It's amazing. Well, I mean, and, and the funny part is all you got to do is say, yeah, I'm woke. Like, if you think about what they're saying, the anti-woke mob. What, what, I want to be woke. Listen, exactly. Who wants to walk around sleep? You're going right. to bump into shit. You're going to trip over stuff. Right. Excuse my language. Right. But let's be honest. Like, this idea that you're telling people, be anti-woke. Right. And we know what it is. You're, woke is the new N-word. Right. You went from thug to woke. Let's, you're, you're literally saying you have to be anti-black right. to be a part of this. Let's think about the history of the word woke. It came from Marcus Garvey. Right. It came from black people saying stay woke to be aware of what white supremacy can and will do to you. Right. Or what it is doing to you. Mm -hmm. So they definitely want them, their parties to be anti-woke. They say woke mob and sound like clowns. Right. We, 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 your dog whistling to the wrong people. You're letting black people know that you're anti-black right. when you say anti-woke. You know, it is amazing. What, what gets me is that in this year, we still have to fight these issues. And I'm not talking about fighting this one. I'm talking about that we still have to go through the psychological yes. impacts of, of this kind of stuff. And anyway, uh, to close this stuff out, brother, mm -hmm. give us give give the audience a closer. I mean, I think they've gotten a good education yeah. right now. Give us a closer. Uh, I would say I would say to your audience, to you, to anybody that can hear me in earshot, to to truly discount everything you've learned about electoral politics and also the status quo. The status quo has failed us, continue to fail us, and it's because we allow it. There's no such thing as political power. That's perceived power. There's a lot of shit called people power and we don't own that space we need to take back the ideal of people power and remind elected officials and i am an elected official remind elected officials that i work for you and when you don't do your job you get you get fired it's nothing revolutionary about electing somebody what's 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 revolutionary is unelected and an incumbent so everybody should be dead set on unelected incumbents that are not doing anything that benefits the least of us Peace. Mondale Robinson, thank it's you always a pleasure for being face, on Politics Done Right. You keep up the good work because you. you know what? We need truth tellers, brother. Thank you, brother. You take care. All right, peace. peace. We
spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead. Number one, subscribe to our channel. And number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. folks i hope you like that i went ahead and let that play through because i wanted everybody to see who the producers supporters of all our netroots videos are and if you notice it listed all our supporters of the netroots trip to chicago but anyhow folks i hope you enjoyed that i have another one that i want to show you as well uh this but uh, let's see. Let, yeah, let me go ahead and show that other one now because I think it's important. This is a young lady. I knew her for over a decade as she came to Netroots year after year after year. She's a grown woman now at 25, and she's still coming to Netroots to get her, her, uh, her progressive bona fides re, re, relit every single year. Check this out, and then we'll take it on the other side. Welcome to Politics Done Right at Netroots Nation 2023. And who do I have the honor to sit with? The one and only Ali Thomba. Ali, I met you when you were a little, little girl coming with mom and dad to Netroots. And I tell you something, to watch you grow up and become who you've become is great. Why don't you tell me about your Netroots uh, experience from the time you started coming out here? So this is my 10-year anniversary of right. coming to Netroots. So mm -hmm. the first time I came, I was 15. Um, but my parents have been attending Netroots since the very first mm -hmm. one. Um, so I think they've both got their 15-year buttons on. Yes. Um, so I grew up so excited mm -hmm. for the time when I finally felt like I'd be ready to go and enjoy and have fun. And I just immediately jumped into um, volunteering because that's what my parents love to do, too. Mm -hmm. But you know what is interesting, Ali? You are, you've been named the mayor of town hall this year, correct? The deputy mayor. The deputy mayor. second in command to the, the wonderful Linda Lee who runs this whole shebang in here. But let me tell you why. I think once before you were like sort of a leader on the floor a few years mm -hmm. ago. What were you then? I was the deputy mayor then, so I'm always second in command to Linda, but well, it's still a very fine title. But it's not only a fine title, it's an important title because everybody knows you and you go around and you keep these things running just fine. Absolutely. Now, I'm glad that you spoke about your parents' volunteerism because what I think I want to impart to a whole lot of folks that are watching us right now is that parents matter and how you are reared matter. And mm -hmm. for you to have seen, well, I tell you what, don't let me answer that. You saw parents who did things. Absolutely. What did that mean to you? 
I mean, it meant so much. Um, my parents were so involved um, with not only like watching the events, mm -hmm. but helping to put it together. Um, and I mean, they always made sure to remind me that this entire convention is put together by four paid staff. Mm -hmm. Everybody else is volunteers. And I think that's really incredible that we've got 3,000 people here between um, like in person and remote. Mm -hmm. That is incredible and it's all done with the help or um, a lot of it is done with right. the help of volunteers um and seeing my parents doing it and not just doing it begrudgingly or doing it because it got them a reduced price ticket but mm -hmm. doing it because they adored doing it um just meant so much to me now, what does it also mean for your activism and your aware your political awareness because as it turns out one of the things that we hear a lot about uh, young people your age and your either teens or low 20s or whatever is that they're not engaged into the body politic. And I think by you coming here, you actually see a reason why you must be, why you should be. Uh, Absolutely. Go ahead. I mean, I'm always surprised by the number of young people that I do see here. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think a lot of people in my generation are either like disillusioned by the political system. They see the like struggles that we've had the past couple of years, the struggles that we have, even though we have like a Democrat in, in the in the White House. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people my age just struggle to see like, you know, the light on the other side. But I think it's coming to events like this that help right. me see that light and see that it's not just a small movement mm -hmm. of progressive people it's it really is we've got thousands of people mm -hmm. here um and it's just so amazing to see the passion all the people who dedicate their lives to making this a better world to live in a better country to live in um it gives me the motivation to keep going to um to vote to be involved in like local elections to get um like loved ones involved um so i mean i feel like this really gives me like the confidence i need mm -hmm. um to go out into the greater world and sort of spread that that optimism mm -hmm. and that that belief and you know the idea that we can't do this alone it's a group effort right you know and seeing so many people come together for a common goal, mm -hmm. it's just, it's inspiring. Well, let me tell you what is inspiring for me. What is inspiring for me is when I see young people like yourself, not only jump and take the baton, because, you know, we're getting old, man. We're getting <laughs> old, you know? We, no. we can't keep doing this stuff. It, we have to pass the baton. And knowing that, and, and, I, and I'm, not saying this, uh, I'm not saying this to be kind, knowing that we are passing the baton to folks like you and, and other young people that show up here, that are engaged, it is like, you know what? We are gonna be okay after all. We are gonna be okay after all. I hope so. All. I, I have no doubt. I have no doubt that given the caliber of, of teens and young adults that I've seen pass through here and that I've spoken to, we're gonna be in good hands. So, Ali, it's been my pleasure to speak to you. Thank keep doing you so what you're doing and you keep coming out here, all right? Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely.
Well, folks, I hope you like that one. Uh, like I said, uh, I knew her from she was, you know, a kid coming to the, the thing and she was always running around with dad and mom. And the good thing about it is, um, you know, people always knew who her parents were. So they take care of them if they're all over the place or whatever. You know, it is it is great seeing these kids that have grown up at Netroots Nation and and now making a difference and and pretty soon going to be a big part of it. Um, let's see. Melanie Keelan says it's it is so important. We're getting up there. Yeah, we are. Paul Fleming says when multi-billionaires take control of our most vital tool, which is communication, is not a win for democracy. It's a win for the oligarchy. I agree. Um, let's see. Uh, you said something that was real important before, Paul, that I want to bring up. You said... You have to have a great job to be a volunteer. Most slaves aren't given that uh, what's most precious. Time. Time. And I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you this story. But before that, let me just say, um, Bridge asked, what does her parents do? Her father is an engineer, a software, a software engineer working. And uh, her mother, I think, is in the med business, if I remember correctly. But they would come and spend the four, five, six days at Netroots yearly. Every year that I've been there, they were there, except for last year. I think last year was the only one that they missed and because they had something else. But there are a lot of other people like that that are there on a yearly basis. Now, I, I want to address Paul. Brother Paul Fleming, Netroots was for the longest time, uh, when it, from its inception, and by the way, let me just tell you, you'll see an interview that I do with Marcos Molitzas, who is the creator of Daily Coast, the most trafficked progressive site, bar none, in the country. All right? And out of Daily Coast, that progressive blog, came what we called Yearly Coast. And then it evolved into Netroots Nation, where all these politicians and, and everybody else came to exchange ideas, meet, for, like any other conference, but it was a progressive conference. But in as much as it was a progressive conference, and if you go to Netroots or to, to Daily Coast, there are, a lot of, there are a lot of black writers, Latino writers, etc. In fact, uh, Marcos Molitzas is a Latino, right? The founder of this organization is a Latino, Marcos Molitzas. And so... It was always interesting to me. I went every year. But it was a very, very white space. And, and, and also in being a white space, the only, most, most of the things that were done, again, it never took the, the panels that we had, etc. Very few times did they cover issues that really were BIPOC issues things that affect Latinos, things that affect Asians, things, I mean, I, I'm, I'm talking in the aggregate. Eventually, the few black folks and Latinos and, and others that went to this, to this conference, they started to write in and say, look, this is not, we're a progressive organization and this, about, Netroots is about 19 years, yeah. And I've been attending for about, I think, 12 or 15, somewhere around there. Uh, but, People were complaining about that, and, and they made a switch. Sometimes I think the switch was, you know, was not sufficiently natural. But 
uh, they did things like give scholarships, etc., for uh, people of color to show up. And this goes into what Brother Paul Fleming had to say. In the aggregate, because people of color that, uh, you know, they either don't have jobs that allow them to travel are not the ones generally chosen to travel to go to these conferences, or they just don't have that thing that Paul talks about, time. All right? We had a Netroots in Atlanta uh, about four years ago, Paul, and I, you know, I don't know why then I didn't put one and one together so that we could have met when we met, had the Netroots in Atlanta. But anyhow, so as it turns out, they brought they they started to give scholarships to schools and different folks so that they could come into town. Uh, some of them even got airfare. Some of them got uh, rooms, etc. And they did that to try to say, ah, yeah, we need to do something to equalize the floor. Now, a lot of uh, Republicans would say, you know, that's a handout or, you know, why, why are you doing things like that? It's not fair to other. Well, again, we're coming from where and, and, and I, I hope my conservatives that are listening understand this. There is a built in bias against people of color in the country, not not necessarily some overtly, but not necessarily overtly, but just by the reality of the country. When the country was, when the laws in this country were written racially, and I'm talking about explicitly racially, because they're still written racially right now, but we can go into that another day. But when they were explicitly racially, racial, they created inherent biases that goes on forever. And we can go into the prices of homes. We can go into the type of the, the credit that people get and, and the interest that is ch uh, charged for one particular group versus another particular group. There are a lot of things that we can go into to show that the systemic nature of what this country has done to BIPOCs century after century is a result of what you see right now, the poverty rates that are higher the uh, crime rates that are higher. All those things have its genesis in the same place. And we as progressives, those of us at Netroots, had to realize that the solution to that problem had to involve those people that were oppressed. Henceforth, the scholarships, henceforth, uh, centralizing several times on issues. If you went to a Netroots this year, this year we had an, a, a huge overrepresentation. I'm talking about in the plenaries, etc. There was a very overrepresentation of blacks in these plenaries. Pl uh, I said it first, and now I miss it. You know, plenar plenaries, right? And the reason why is more than likely the the past underrepresentation that gave a skewed view of how things work. The same apply to affirmative action, etc. People will say like, well, how come they're giving more scholarships to X group and not this group? And you have to say the same thing. When X group was getting the advantages, all the country's advantages, of course, that is something that would have to be mitigated and then seen. Melanie, thank you. This is sad, but necessary information. E2247 is always keeping us informed as well. 
the Israel-Palestinian issue, the uh, Biden and Adams issue, I mean, Abrams issue. Yes, it is terrible. It is terrible. Anyhow, um, so Paul, the reason why I wanted to expand on, on what you had to say there is that um, it, is, it is really an issue. I mean, uh, with, from volunteerism, et cetera. And, you know, it, it creates a, uh, <laughs> it's, Egberto, it's not a pie. What are you talking about, Bridge, when you say it's not a pie? I'm not sure what we're talking about when you say it's not a pie. So help me out there. Uh, help me out there, Bridge. Anyhow, so as it turns out, those are important issues to take into account. Let me give another thing. You have progressives that are working hard to solve a problem. If you don't have representation, if you don't have people who are there from the community at large that needs these assistances to, to, to move themselves to the next level, how can you know what to do? And that has always been the issue. That the solutions that these progressive organizations put out there may not be the solution that works in the community because you had no access to the community to understand that community and what would work within that community. Henceforth, diversity is so important. Henceforth, even in colleges and universities where you're educating teachers, the teachers need to know how to address these other communities and how can they know that if they're not surrounded uh, with other folks that have different realities. Social workers, you're going to have a social worker in a classroom where they're, where they're testing each other. How can you not have a diverse environment so that when one side says something, the other side can say, well, you know, re remember this particular issue it doesn't work like that. And I'm talking about it on all sides. On all sides. Egberto Willis, meaning when you all share the same issue, you cannot divvy it up into pieces. You join together, not a slice of a pie each. Exactly, Bridge. I get it now. I get it. I get it. Paul Fleming says, you're saying exactly what I was thinking. It's pretty. It's pretty. It's making me laugh. Everything I'm thinking, you're just saying out loud. Paul, life experiences, right? That's what it's all about, life experiences. When I walk into America, my life experience was probably not much different than your life experience, Paul Fleming Sr. We handle it differently. I'm, well, I don't know how you've handled it, but I'm pretty sure you've handled it darn good if you've made it as, as you have. But I, I wrote, a, I mean, I wrote the book, uh, <laughs> Tribulations of a Latino, uh, Afro-Latino Caribbean man for that reason. You have to get that, you know? Uh, and folks, actually, you should go to Amazon and pick up my... Well, you can't pick up my book yet. It's in an online reading format at, at, at Amazon. Anyhow, let's go take a look at Chris Christie. Chris Christie is right, you know? Christie said, you know what? I am signing that contract. I want to debate. And I'm going to do exactly what Donald Trump did you know if it's good for donald trump it is good for me so therefore i want you to check this out and then we'll take it on the other side 
a few of the candidates said, we are not going to sign that pledge that says we are going definitely going to support whoever the Republican Party nominates as the person leading the party for the presidency. And uh, we have heard from Texas who said it would be a lie to do that. Well, of course, you know, Donald Trump signed it back in 2016. And when it was asked on stage if he will follow his pledge to support whoever was the nominee, if it weren't him. And he said to everybody, no. Well, you know what? Chris Christie said, well, you know what? What's good for the goose is good for the gander. And while I I can understand how the ethics behind uh, a former representative heard from Texas, who is also running for president, while I can understand his stance in a country that could possibly be led by a heathenous thug, I think it is. I think what Chris is saying here uh, is apropos. Check this out, and then we'll take it on the other side. First debate, uh, as you note, now almost a month away. I want you to take a listen to what your fellow 2024 candidate, former Texas Congressman Will Hurd, had to say about those who take the debate pledge to support the eventual nominee. This is what he had to say a couple weeks ago. I can't lie to get access to a microphone. I'm not going to support uh, Donald Trump. I recognize the impact that it has on 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 you know my ability to get access to the debate stage. But I I can't lie. It'll be easy to say I'll do it, and then when it comes down, you know, change your mind. But I just can't. I can't do that. In your, I'm sorry. In Will Hurd's formulation, are you? Lying to make the debate stage by signing a pledge to support the nominee, no matter who it is, including if it's Donald Trump. Well, I won't see uh, I won't see Will Hurt on the debate stage, and that's okay by me. Uh, the fact is, we've got to change our party, Jake, and change our country. Um, and we had these debate pledges uh, um, eight years ago, as you'll recall, and all of us signed them. And then when we got on the debate stage and we were asked to reaffirm it, Donald Trump refused to raise his hand. The only one of 10 candidates who did. Uh, the fact is, uh, he has set the president here and uh, I will sign the debate pledge um, and I will take it every bit as seriously as he did in 2016. We understand of- what that said. I will take the pledge that I sign as seriously as Donald Trump himself took the pledge. I will take it as seriously as Donald Trump took the pledge. And I think that is, in fact, the right thing for Christy to do. All right, let's see. E2247 says, what a conversation with author fate leader Wes Granberg Michelson when Tuesday, August 18, we're Zoom. What is it about, uh, Paul? Or rather, I mean, uh, E2247, did you mention that before? Tell them not to allow this man who has caused so much death, pain, and destruction already to have a new reign. U.S. Capitol switchboard. I thank you for pushing that issue about Abrams, uh, uh, E2247. You are so right about that. You are so right about that. I, I want to play another piece. and I, I, This is still on my mind. This is still on my mind about that new drug. That's out there. Listen to this and then we'll take it on the other side as well. There's a new drug that came out, right? Well, it's, you know, they've been working on it for a while for Alzheimer's and they want Americans to pay $26,500 per year for this drug. Sanders went ahead and he started to raise hell. He says, 
uh, he raises concerns over outrageous prices of the new Alzheimer drugs. Not only does the high price of Lequimbi threaten Medicare's finances, it will also negatively impact seniors on fixed incomes suffering from Alzheimer's who simply cannot afford to pay. Again, we always have that pay for play. Senator Bernie Sanders on Monday reiterated his concerns over the staggering price tag of a new approved uh, Alzheimer's Medicare uh, medication after the Biden administration failed to respond to his letter last month, urging swift executive action to force down the cost. In a new letter to Health and Human Services Secretary Javier uh, uh, Vasera, Sanders wrote that the current $26,500 price for Lequimbe is outrageous and demanded that Biden the Biden administration explain why the cost of this drug cannot be reduced to $8,900, which is the price independent experts believe it should cost based on its effectiveness. Sanders, the chair of the Senate Health, Education, Labor and Pensions Health Committee, raised particular alarm over the drug's possible impact on Medicare finances. Shortly after the Food and Drug Administration approved Lequimbi last week, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services announced that Medicare will cover the treatment broadly, a contrast from its decision last year to limit coverage of Adulhem, a different high-priced Alzheimer's drug. KFF estimates that if 5% of people with Alzheimer's disease use Lequimbi, also known as lacanemab, Medicare's annual outlays for the IV infusion uh, would be $8.9 billion, a spending increase that would push premiums up for all Medicare recipients. In other words, that $8 billion, $8.9 billion is a transfer of wealth from all of us, including higher premiums to those rich fat cats who said, hey, people get Alzheimer's. We can make a ton of money off of their illness. See why I said we that this type of stuff, medic, medical expenses do not belong in the private sector because since it is something that people want, they need, I'm ill, I want to get cured. We will pay anything for it. They know it and they bilk us for it, even as all of the research that go into all of these devices ultimately has a public component. The researchers were educated many times by public universities. The, the company's investment in, in uh, these drugs many a times are covered by grants and universities. And moreover, even if they do some research themselves, if they lose money, they never lose money. Why? Because all that money that they lose is written off on their taxes, on the profits of other drugs. So it's a lie to you. Whenever you hear they're not going to in, uh, invest, invent new drugs, if, if you don't allow them to uh, overcharge you, it's a lie. But it's a lie that, that's not only known by like myself and many others. It's a lie known by the government. It's a lie known by everybody. It's a bunch of people fixing the cost of these drugs to transfer the wealth to extract the wealth and give it to a few. We have to stop this. We have to stop this. As Sanders wrote, not only does the high price of Lequimbi threaten Medicare finances, it will also negatively impact seniors on fixed incomes suffering from Alzheimer's who simply cannot afford to pay the 20% copay of more than $5,000 a year for this drug. With a median income of about $30,000 a year for seniors and Medicare to purchase, the purchase of this drug would amount to over one-sixth of their income. Just that one drug, not their entire health care bill, just that one drug. 
That is unacceptable, the senator continued. A prescription drug is not effective if a patient who needs that drug cannot afford it. Worse, it's not like that drug is so effective that it deserves the price. You know, the drug industry is the only people that charge you for lack of performance. In other words, they have a drug that may help somebody live 30 days more, 60 days more on the aggregate. And they feel for that, they are willing to charge the arm and a leg. That is ridiculous. If I have a drug that's going to give me 60 more days on earth, I will give my daughter, my wife, and all my loved ones a big hug and say, I love you guys. You know what? I love you so much that it's time for me to go and you go ahead and take that income that they would have ripped off from you to the drug companies. Please use that to have a better life. Please use that to soothe the pain of losing me because I would have been lost anyway. Folks, we have to stop it. We have to stop this thievery. We have to stop this thuggish behavior by those who control our healthcare. We have to have healthcare for all. We have to take this country, not take this country back. We have to take this country away from those who have used us, nothing more than slaves, indentured slave, uh, indentured servants, and antiseptic slaves. We have to do better. We can do better. We must elect progressives who actually think about humanity before they think about anything else. Absolutely. So anyhow, anyhow, mira, mi, mi hermanos, Bruce Pollard is in the house. Melanie Keelan from Barcelona, Spain. I don't know if I saluted you before, Melanie, but anyhow, Melanie is in the house as well. Hey, Bruce, why don't you call in? Bruce was out there at Netroots with me and Bruce had himself a ball. You should call in and tell folks to uh, use up this some of this time and say, you know what? Let me tell you what's going on, Bruce. The number is 281-823-7747. If you're on the computer, I imagine you can call. Seven, I mean, 281-823-7747. One more time, 281-823-7747. And don't forget, we are still, we are still uh, trying to get to that, that point where the trip is paid for that i did to chicago we're not there yet so the thing is still open and i'd like to ask you guys to go ahead and continue uh if you notice uh, i put that cheat sheet at the end with all the people who are now the producers and supporters of the thing right wouldn't you like your name on that as well as a producer a supporter we need more of you Hey, wait, what's going on here? No, get rid, get out of there. All right, that's fine, that's fine. All right, so anyway, folks, uh, the telephone number to call in, if you'd like to call in, is 281-823-7747. One more time, it is 281-823-7747. Don't be shy, Bruce. Call in and tell folks your experience. Let them know that it's worth it. Tom C. says, catching the end of the show, hope all is well. In Chicago and elsewhere, yep. But I'm back in Houston, Texas. It was a four-day uh, conference. Let's see, Egberto Willis. Oh, there is Bruce. All right, let's see if it works. Uh, let let me get the echo of oh, Bruce. Are you there? I'm there. All right, good. Beforehand, though, I, I hear think you. they're going to get an echo. On... Okay, let's see, folks. Can you hear Bruce just fine? I trust. Go ahead, Bruce. Hey, how are you all? We're back from Netrooks Nation. 
I'm uh, energized to go out and do some activism and uh, moms, uh, moms demand action for gun sense. And they're going to have gun sense university next, uh, next month in Chicago as well. My wife's going up to that. And uh, we're going to try and uh, work uh, one thing at a time. I guess red flag laws are going to be our first big push, along with uh, being smart and keeping guns safe for everybody by uh, locking them up and um, making sure that we ask questions so that our kids don't get in the way of guns. Now, Bruce, why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience at Netroots? What's your thoughts about it? You know, let folks know, hey, maybe it's something that you, you should go to as well. Well, it's an amazing, it's amazing experience because they have a whole bunch of, you know, in the typical conference they have, but they have panels and the panels have, I went to one panel that had um, a mom's demand action uh, leader, but it also had three attorneys general and they all were talking about what were the important things and how they could maybe uh, get things better. And they're dealing with the, in the Chicago and Illinois, they're dealing with uh, trying to get uh, um, the bail laws changed. And so they talk specifically about that. And the meetings uh, revolved around local issues. And there were mostly local people there, at least in Chicago. And when you talk to them one-on-one, they were in touch with those issues. So you got a feel for what was going to be happening in that area so you could watch that. And you could also carry those ideas back. They also had training sessions um, that were simulations of situations that might happen in your group that they broke up into little groups and you worked on them. And then the leaders from major organizations that had had success came around and coached you. So it was great. Now, uh, what did what did you think about the, the caliber of people that were attending? Yeah, I think, I mean, so it was always, it was always the best in the panels. They had the best people, um, in the, the trainers, they had trainers. So, you know, I'm older, but the trainers are all, um, are all younger generation people who are committed, but have knowledge a lot about the, um, social networking space and how to leverage the social networking and, they're starting to learn about artificial intelligence, but um, not quite yet. Of course, artificial intelligence hasn't hasn't developed to be the challenge that we expect it to be. But um, in general, the people are, and they're all positive, smiling, happy, friendly, um, working together to uh, make it make things be better. Yeah, I I, I enjoyed having uh, Bruce out there with me. We. Uh, um, he would be all over, over over the stuff as I was planted at that table, interview after interview after interview. Bridge, I did over yeah, 44 it's interviews. Of, of a, it's hard Go to ahead, believe Bruce. of a thousand people, as of a thousand people, at least 90% of them knew Egberto by name, <laughs> by face, and by politics done right. Hey. Uh, we had, we had fun and, and Bruce had that shirt that Bruce had that politics done right shirt on. So I am just, uh, proud that my brother decided to wear the shirt one or two of the days because it meant a little bit of, as we would say, you know, letting people know who don't know about uh, the politics done right. And when they see the science, it's like, ah, that's where it's from. 
But anyhow, Bruce, it was great having you out there in Chicago. And I, I think it was a great experience. And for me, uh, Netroots every year is a new experience and a great experience. And I think a lot more people uh, that, you know, that's doing this work should go ahead because, like you said, the training is on is great. I think and I think that it was really good for a lot of the younger kids in the Chicago area that came and participated they have discounts for people like that and the youth is great but um they're uh they're not real um they, they've got a lot to learn whereas you know in the politics done right uh discussions that we have we hit the broad spectrum and we don't use a lot of jargon we get right down to the point egberto leads us to what the focus is from the um from the progressive point of view, and he listens to the arguments back and forth. There weren't quite as many arguments back and forth there as on politics done right, which I think is the way to do politics, and that's why we call it done right. There you go, brother. And and the other thing is that it is our show. You know, it is all our show. And I always try to make sure, uh, I always try to make sure that to say that it's our show, all of our show. Bridge says, Egberto, if a regular person wanted to attend, what is the price to get in? Let me verse say it this way. I think it's about, what is it, Bruce, for a, a single activist? You, do you remember what the cost is so without? As a single it, activist, it was, it was $300. Uh-huh. But um, if you're a student somewhere, the price drops precipitously. Mm-hmm. And next year, it's in Baltimore. Right. So... That might be an interesting central place to bring uh, the PDR posse together. And we oh, could maybe that's true. Haggle a, we could maybe haggle a discount for everybody and um, I, and at the same time um, have uh, our own. Um, we could get Egberto to do a, a, a training class with everybody and or a panel. And, I uh, like that. That you know, Bruce. That's why we always have people think about things, right? Because that would be a good thing, and I bet we could get a panel together for that. And Bridge, by the way, they give scholarships. So anybody, let's right. say, uh, let's say that the the price is high or whatever, you can get a scholarship for doing that. You can also get a scholarship for volunteering. You can sign up when you're signing up for these things. You can sign up as a volunteer by going to I think it's netroots.org/volunteer and and work with Will uh, Will, which is my buddy as well, Will um, Easton. And more than likely, he can arrange it that you go. You can go to the conference for free. They can't pay your airfare or your hotel, but uh, and and there are times when they even do that. So you never know. But again, uh, for volunteering, etc., uh, you can actually. There are a lot of ways to be able to go to Netroots Nation for free. Uh, volunteering on the and, floor, and, and there's total. I mean, there's totally different kinds of people, whatever gender, whatever color. Whatever background, whatever um, whatever your uh, your thing is of action, there's everybody there. They're all talking together. It's uh, it's the true central, I'll say centroid of intersectionality. Amen. Anyway, Bruce, we are at four oh one, so I got to get out of Dodge. So look, thank yeah. you. So first of all, Bruce, thanks for calling in. Number two. 
thanks for having been there in um, in in uh, Chicago with me. We had quite a bit of fun. I mean, this uh, you know just the, the, in, empowering. That's what I should say. We were so empowered yeah. out there. But anyway, thank you, my brother. Yeah, no problem. And we're looking forward to Baltimore in 2024. Absolutely. Thank you, bud. Anyway, folks, uh, we yep. we have to get out of here. My name is. Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you guys know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.